1: Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, it is Sunday, I hope wherever you're watching or listening to this around the world you are having a fantastic weekend, we're what, eight days now into the interlow. seven days actually, it was seven days today, wasn't it, that fantastic win for Arsenal against Manchester United at the Emirates last weekend, who could forget that, I was just talking to someone about that actually, about how great, great that day was, still uh, still can't flick past that Gabriel Jesus goal if it pops up on my timeline at the moment, um, and so, yeah, any seven days to go to Arsenal are back in action against Everton next weekend. Of course, that was a game that was going to be being played on the Saturday, but it's now been switched to the Sunday. Arsenal are heading to Goodison Park. Can they finally get that Goodison Park hoodoo off their chest? Fingers crossed they can. They didn't manage it last year. A horrible, horrible day up on the blue half of Merseyside last season. That 1 0 defeat uh, in Sean Dyche's first game in charge. Arsenal are going to face exactly the same sort of thing. At Goodison next weekend, hopefully they are better equipped to deal with it and they put in a better performance than they did last weekend. Uh, We've got quite a few things to talk about today, even though it is Sunday, even though it's relatively quiet. Of course, we'll talk about Nicolas Pepe, who has now finally left Arsenal. It has been confirmed by the club. Uh, We'll talk about a very disappointing night for Arsenal women in the uh, Champions League or a disappointing day for Arsenal women in the Champions League. Awful result that, you know, real consequences in terms of the season to come. Uh, going out against Paris FC yesterday. And we'll talk about some of the international football that has gone on. We've got some comments and questions from you guys as well. So plenty to discuss. And we'll start with Nicolas Pepe, who Arsenal have now confirmed has left the club. That statement coming sort of late yesterday afternoon. Arsenal saying we've agreed with Nicolas to terminate his contract with immediate effect. Um, Everyone at Arsenal thanks Nicolas for his contribution during his time with us and wish him well for the future. They talk about how he's, you know, his brief sort of, Time at the club made 111 appearances in all competitions, uh, and uh, obviously, highlight there that he played a key role in the FA Cup win, uh, in 2020 as well. And now, we all knew this was happening, of course, it's been going on just throughout the last few days. Trouts and have been posting pictures of him on their plot on a private plane heading over to Turkey. Some pictures from Pepe himself on Instagram signing the contract and putting out a little message as well. We were just waiting for the official confirmation from Arsenal, as I spoke about yesterday in yesterday's episode, that. I'd seen that there were reports that Arsenal would get a nominal fee, but I was kind of being told that that wasn't the case and it was going to be a, a contract termination. And that's, of course, now been confirmed. So Arsenal's second highest transfer fee ever, the £72 million they paid Lille for, Nicolas Pepe, uh, in 2019. Four years later, they have paid him to leave with one year left on that contract. So in fact, they still owe, I believe, because of the payment structure that they was agreed with Lille at the time of signing of 72 million, that was going to be spread over the five years. Of course, I believe they still probably have a payment still to make to Lille uh, for Nicolas Pepe. So yeah, a very costly error at the end. Um, Obviously, I spoke about it in the last couple of videos in terms of my thoughts on Pepe as a player and how I don't think he was dreadful at all during his time at Arsenal. When he played, he played pretty well at times. Um, You know, as I said, he had a big, Parks playing at FA Cup, win in 2020, he had a really good season, a really good end to the second season where he scored a lot of goals um, in all competitions when Arteta was in charge. But then it all just sort of faded away. And, you know, he clearly wasn't a £72 million player, but he had some good moments. Um, but Arsenal kind of moved on from him, didn't really fit Mikel Arteta's plans. And, of course, he had a m- massive thing in front of him called Bakaya Saka, who came in and just you know, was basically undroppable after making his way into the team. So that didn't help Nicolas Pepe either. And he's ended up losing. It is very sad. There've been lots and lots of comments and um, questions about Nicolas Pepe over the last few days on the channel uh, in uh, the replies to the videos that I've done. You know, some people, you know, sort of angry at Arteta for the way he treated Nicolas Pepe, felt he should have been given more of an opportunity. Other people happy that he's gone and it can kind of draw a line under the saga. We've got one here. Um, from Crefton, said Pepe is worth much more. And if it wasn't so obvious, we desperately wanted to get rid of him. We'd have got more. We're really terrible at sell- selling. We are so public in how we value our players, so open in what relations are like with the manager and the club. We don't hold cards close to our chest, and it's hurting us. At the same time, these things take time to change. Improvement has been made. It's just that the window has been a step back on that improvement, according to me, even though we probably got market value for and The holding deal was just atrocious, bordering on shameful. How how we got so little for an English Premier League-proven centre-back is beyond me. Mean, it probably wouldn't have been better to keep... And it probably would have been better to keep him as image for our club. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think we, we were all looking at this summer as a summer to see how Arsenal did. Could they improve that um, image that they've got in terms of being poor sellers? I don't think they really have. I don't think they've done terribly. I think there's been some good deals. You know, Granit Xhaka one, I think, has turned out to be a good deal, despite him being a very good player. I think they got good money for Granite Jacker, But like you said, the Rob Holding one, I think it's just an atrocious piece of business. I don't understand how that has happened um, or why that has happened. I'd have rather have kept Rob Holden for the season and then, and have him in the squad as a potential backup option than give him away to £1 million to another Premier League club. I just, I just don't get that. Pepe, I look, I can see there have been mistakes made and I think Arteta doesn't help himself at times um, when he the way he manages players who are out in the cold a little bit. You know, their, plummet, their value does plummet as a result. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly not the only person to think that. I know people think that about him. And you look at Ainsley Mate niles for example, you know, that was a clear situation when Arsenal could have sold him for 20 million, didn't, kept him, then he went out in the cold, didn't feature at all, and Arsenal ended up losing him for free as well. Now, you know, Nicolas Pepe is slightly different because of the wages he was on. It was very difficult to shift. You know, Arsenal are hoping he would have a good... Sp- Season over in France last season, and maybe Nice would take him on a permanent basis. That didn't happen. He had an all right season. He had injuries. Nice decided not to take him on a permanent basis, and that left off, left Arsenal in a difficult position. And I always kind of felt it was going to be a contract termination, and and that is uh that's the way it's proven. And um, yeah, I think when you kind of look at Arsenal's summer in terms of selling, they got in about sort of just over eighty million pounds, I think eighty five million pounds for for players, which isn't bad, but. It could have been better. I think they certainly wanted to bring in over 100 million pounds, and I think the big key to that is just Kieran Tierney. I think you added 25 million, 30 million pound sale of Kieran Tierney into the mix, and onto that sort of sales sheet, and then you're taking it to around sort of 115 million pounds in terms of money received. And I think it looks an awful lot better. And you know, Arsenal started the summer expecting to sell Kieran Tierney and bringing in 30 million odd quid. It didn't happen. Bids didn't arrive, which is a real, real surprise. And I think when you kind of look at the summer as a whole, that's the big one that is really, really disappointed. And hopefully in 12 months time, that will be resolved and he'll have a really good season at Dad and Arsenal. We'll have There'll be a big market for Kieran Tierney next summer. Arsenal will bring that money in. But for now, they didn't manage it. And I think that has had a bit of a negative impact on how the summer looks as a whole in terms of their uh, selling business. Uh, okay, let's quickly go on to international matters now. Yesterday, and Zinchenko really good day for him and for Ukraine. One-one draw with England. So you had Zinchenko on one side, you had Declan Rice and Bukayo Saka starting on the other side. You obviously had Eddie Nketiah and Aaron Ramsdale as unused substitutes on the bench. Zinchenko opening the scoring for Ukraine. Really emotional day for them, for him. You could see what that goal meant to everyone in the stands and to the players, especially into Zinchenko. It's a lovely picture here. If you haven't, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. Zinchenko when he was celebrating up to the camera screen you've got his wife shared a picture of his daughter watching from home and that celebration that he did with a little heart symbol you know was dedicated to his daughter a really lovely touch from him and you could see what it meant it was a lovely goal as well uh, from Zinchenko such a quality player England did go on to equalize through Kyle Walker brilliant goal actually great uh, great ball from Harry Kane lovely finish from Kyle Walker and it finished 1-1 probably a deserved scoreline really i thought england dominated possession didn't really do too much with it i thought ukraine deserved their point um uh yeah i didn't think ukraine didn't often up like mudrick was night Mudric was so poor well he, he, he kind of was poor but kyle walker was just absolutely immense it was honestly like a, a men versus boys type contest whenever mudrick tried to square him up and go one-on-one so, kyle walker was just so dismissive of, of him he just knew that he had him and that uh Madrid wouldn't be able to get past him and uh, yeah it was it was men against boys sort of stuff that and mudrick's toils i suppose since he's moved to chelsea and didn't move to arsenal it certainly continue but i'm still convinced he's a very good player and had he gone to arsenal it would have been a completely different story for what's happening for right now so that was a good re- good result for um zinchenko really interesting game here uh japan versus germany i don't know if you saw the result and if you watching this on the screen you can see right now Japan winning 4-1 in Germany so that was and it was Tommy Asu versus Havertz Havertz was playing as the nine for Germany Tomiyasu was playing as the left-sided centre-back for Japan played really well Tomiyasu Japan winning 4-1 in Germany what a remarkable result that was nine months before Germany kickoff Euro 2024 at home of course in Germany a dreadful result for them, real pressure on how to Flick, the manager. Um, you know, the stats are amazing. I don't know what Germany were doing defensively. I haven't seen the game. But when you look at the stats, you know, Japan had 14 shots, Germany 11. F- 11 of Japan's 14 shots were on target. You know, it's either really clinical from Japan in terms of their finishing or just really poor defensively from Germany, just cr- allowing Japan such quality of chances that they've got, you know, 11 out of 14 on target. And when you look at Germany, sixty-eight percent possession. Japan, thirty-two. Germany, seven hundred and fifty-four passes. Japan, three six six. Yeah, absolute kind of smash and grab when you look at that and you look at the results. But um, yeah, fair play to Tommy. He had a really good game actually, Tommy. When you look at the stats and his numbers, um, likes that left sided centre back role when he plays for Japan. They play him there a lot. He does very very well there, and obviously didn't give Kai Havertz much uh, much at all. I'm not sure Kai Havertz got much service to be honest. But um, yeah, we're kind of hoping Havertz might might have got himself a goal or, you know, got himself a win to lift his confidence levels. I'm not sure that's going to happen after a 4-1 home defeat and lots of pressure on Germany now ahead of their second game of the international break. But great day for Tommy Astu. I'm sure he'll be very, very happy with himself.
2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Okay, you have got to talk about Arsenal Women's result yesterday. Absolute hammer blow. I can't. Really put into words how disappointing this result is. Arsenal going out of the Champions League in the qualifying rounds after a penalty shootout defeat to Paris FC over in Sweden. Dramatic game. Arsenal finding themselves 2-0 down, conceding two goals in the space of a minute early in the second half. They fought back. Alicia Russo scoring her first goals for the club. Uh, got an injury time equaliser as well for BT to make it two or went to extra time Paris got themselves back in front then Russo scored again to make it 3-3 and take it to penalties Russo then missing a penalty in the shootout Arsenal losing it 4-2 um, and and yeah they're out unbelievable before even the qualify, you know getting through the whole qualifying round stages so no group stages for Arsenal and you know big big hammer blow to the club you know for Jonas Einneveld as well. He spoke about it. He said, the important thing is that you don't let this define you. Let the other things define you in the game, uh, what you take with you from this game, and, and that we send a message that we support each other all the way. I want to say the same to our supporters. You guys have been brilliant for us all two seasons since I've been here. Now more than ever, the players need that support and do that because they've given everything on the pitch. I think they're a little bit unlucky today that we don't get the result. and They need the support so we can go strong into the season together. You know, with the investment Arsenal put into this club with the plans they had this season for all of the Champions League games to be played at the Emirates to go out and not get to the group stages you know for all of the planning the club have put on and the sort of financial investment they've done with the signings they've brought in it's a really disappointing result for everyone and I'm sure the club everyone at the club will be really disappointed and it's gonna they're gonna have to bounce back very very strongly for this of of course, it probably will help them when it comes to the WSL campaign, without European competition to sort of focus on. they going to the Conti Cup now, but that's just going to be scant consolation, you know. After what Arsenal did in the Champions League last season, that brilliant run through to the semi-finals, those amazing days at the Emirates, those nights at the Emirates, you know, they would have been. Everyone would have been focusing on bringing those back, and you know, and the plans are in place to bring those back and to go out the way they did yeah it's just an absolute disaster for them and it's going to take them an awful lot of time you'd think to get over it but they're going to have to get over it quickly and concentrate on the league when it comes around I mean the timing of this is not it's you kind of looking at it and think how can this be fair really you know the world cup three weeks ago and you know, no time for sort of training or anything like that just get thrown into these games of such importance you know I'm sure Arsenal feel really it's kind of a little bit hard done by in terms of how it's all worked out and the planning for it and the scheduling but even so you've got to win those sort of games and to, to fail to do that it's just an absolute you know, really really tough one to take for them and there'll be so much disappointment today all around the club and everyone over, over in Sweden who watched it as well so yeah tough tough day for the Arsenal women okay a few questions and comments before we cut this one uh, short sure, we've got one from MP Stevens says hi Charles I don't want to write, uh, invite any unnecessary criticism on our Rolls Royce but sometimes to leave the position in is very worrisome and nobody seems to mention it what I love after that after what I love that after years we finally have centre-backs we can be proud of and I think a lot of Saliba's amazing last-ditch tackles could have been avoided entirely if his position was better like that one against Crystal Palace I love him but he's certainly not as perfect as people make out love to hear your thoughts well he's certainly not perfect but I mean he's how's Saliba now 21 I don't think he's 22 yet so of course he's not perfect he's only been playing top level football for a couple of years the fact he's been playing for a couple of years only and he's producing the performances he's producing is just unbelievable really and it shows that he is a generational defender. But of course he's not perfect. It's just going to get better and better and better. You know, imagine Saliba when he's 28, when he's got seven or eight years experience playing behind him. You know, when he's Van Dyke's age to be you know someone like that. That experience you think of the great Italian centre backs, you know, what age they were and how good they were when they got to their thirties, you know, your, Chiellini's, your all those sort of players. Uh Canavaro's you know, Saliba, the, the world is his oyster in terms of how good he can be. He's, you know, he's 21 years old and he's doing what he's doing now. Yes, there'll be little errors there. There'll be errors of judgment, like you said, positioning errors. But that's all things you learn as you get older and you continue to play and you continue to get top-level experience against the best strikers in the game. He's just going to get better and better. I, I cannot even comprehend how good Saliba is going to be when he's 28. If he stays injury-free, if nothing happens to him, and he can continue to sort of progress as he's progressing now. When he's 28, he's going to be an absolute. I, I cannot see there's going to be a better defender in world football when he's 28 years old than Saliba, given the attributes he's got and given how good he is playing now at such a young age. So, yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Of course, there are slight little areas in his game, but um, my thoughts on the situation are that you've just got to accept that because he's such a young centre back, but he's just going to get better and better. And the good thing is, Although he makes these a few errors positionally, he's got that recovery pace like we saw against Crystal Palace, like we saw against Mbappé last season uh, when he made that tackle against, uh, against him when he was playing for Marseille. He's got that unbelievable recovery pace where he can get himself back and sort of make up for that slight maybe positional error that he's made that has allowed the striker to get goal side of him. Uh, here's one from Zach says, Havertz's agenda is getting old. He isn't the tip of the sword at Arsenal. People expect him to be the next Messi or something is unrealistic. He's becoming a workhorse for us. His stats are easily comparable to Xhaka's best season at Arsenal without the goals. And To be fair, he could have had a few and should have had at least one. He's adjusting well to his position and new teammates as well. He's come from an absolute club in turmoil and arriving at the second best team in the league with, up, with young, upcoming talent. He's not the big fish in our pond, so people need to stop thinking he is. I think that's a really good comment. That's why I, I put it. I, I didn't want to really talk about Havertz in... Today's episode because obviously we've done so much talking about habits and I had my stay on it yesterday. How everyone seems to just be turning everything, no matter what the conversation needs, seems to be turning to habits. I just think it's really unfair. But I thought this was such a good comment from Zach. Um, you know, it uh, deserved a, deserved a bit of an airing. I thought because he's exactly that. He is, you know, he's not this not being brought in to be this absolute goal machine, stroke creative machine. He is obviously this. New type of team that Mikel Arteta is trying to build. He kind of is his kind of more workhorse type player. Like you said, his stats in terms of recoveries, running, distance covered, all of that sort of stuff is right out there with Xhaka. The only big difference is the goals. And obviously, that's a big difference. Because he is playing in a position where he needs to score. And he probably should have had three or four, could have easily had three or four this season. Had he done that, I don't think anyone, you know, had he taken those chances, I don't think anyone would be piling on the way they are to him so he just needs as i've said he just needs these big moments he needs to take a couple of chances relax a little bit in front of goal take a chance if he does that i think the rest of his game is there and then he'll kick on and then people will stop talking and focusing on him quite so much so well done zach i thought that was a really really good comment uh here's one that uh from robin says brazil's fan surprise at how good big gabby performed is killing me like he's been he's been easily brazil's best set about the past 18 months And they didn't give him a chance. I'm not sure if he's been Brazil's best centre-back. I mean, he might be. I can't, off the top of my head, I'm not quite sure who all the other Brazilian defenders are, but there's plenty of good ones. But yeah, I do agree. I thought that, I saw that he's getting a lot of praise for his performance over in Brazil. Um, But yeah, I don't see why anyone should be surprised to that. We've seen it all. You know, second half of last season, I thought Gabriel was better than Saliba. It before Saliba's injury, I thought Gabriel was exceptional in the second half of last season, produced real top level performances, and he is a top level player. I think that's why we we're all so desperate to get him back in the team this season, and so shocked that Mikel Arteta wasn't playing him. Hopefully, that's changed now, and we're going to see Saliba and Gabriel, you know, for a long time playing at centre back for Arsenal together. Now he's back in the team, but uh, yeah, he deserves so many, so much plaudits, Gabriel. I just think he's a fabulous player. He's- Excellent defender. He's cut out a lot of the errors that he used to make that was sort of costly when he kind of had a bit of, sort of brain freeze type moment. He's really limited that now. He's calm. He's a leader. He's a real handful in both boxes as well you saw the part he played in Declan Rice's goal against Manchester United he just he's just a handful he occupies defenders from set pieces and if he's not the one getting on the end of them he's causing trouble and that can give sort of space to other players to take advantage of it so yeah fabulous player Gabriel delighted that he seems to be back in the team now and long may that continue hopefully this injury that he picked up for Brazil isn't anything serious and he'll be back to play against Everton a week today All right, that's it from me, everyone. Thank you very much for your time, as always. I really do appreciate it. And I do have a uh, very good end to your Sunday, wherever you're watching this or listening to it around the world. I hope you have a fantastic end to your weekend. I'll speak to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, people. Small
0: details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall.
2: Target.